Hello everyone. I um I have more things to say that has made me understand that religion is confusing to me. Um for example, thou shalt not kill. This God killed numerous men, women, children, infants, and animals throughout the Old Testament after he gave this commandment. He also ordered his people to kill many of their enemies. In addition, using scripture as a basis. Um, Christians routinely... killed apostates, witches, adulterers, etc. throughout the major portion of the past 2,000 years. Um, I may have mentioned that in another episode, but I gotta mention it again because as you know, in the organized crime world, killers were glorified. So to glorify the divine killer it's like it's like somebody's gut punching my heart it's like a gut punch but not to my gut but to my heart and then for one you know thou shalt not steal for one example numbers chapter 31 verses 17 through 18 god ordered his people to steal the virgins from the midianites now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known man intimately. But all the girls who have not known man intimately spare for yourselves. It's important to remember that women were considered the possessions of men at this time, including girls. So the encouragement of of what is called androcide which refers to systematic killing of men, boys, and males in general, I am disgusted by um, the divine androcide. Um, and I'm also disgusted by the concept of potential divine femicide, which is a systematic killing of girls and women in general. Um, and the rape culture, you know, the stealing of someone's bodily autonomy, bodily integrity is highly raging my soul. It pisses me off that much. Um... And then I get, um, I get more concerned because I really do value people. And so it's hard to, for me to be Christian and read the, those passages and act as if it's not problematic. Um, so there's more I'm gonna say. Um, Jesus gives, the biblical Jesus gives horrible marital advice. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus is alleged to have said the following, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Here, Jesus had a chance to impart a divinely inspired view of marriage, and instead said something that clearly would not stand the test of time. Over the centuries, this and similar scriptures have made battered women afraid to divorce their abusive husbands. 
It sets a standard that the only legitimate grounds for divorce is sexual infidelity. If a man or a woman is abusive, beats up, beats up the other, as long as they don't cheat, they cannot get a divorce. They must stay together and continue to endure the torture. Then, if they happen to get divorced anyway, it sentences both men and women to a state of perpetual singlehood. Modern society has completely rejected these words of Jesus, including notably Christian fundamentalists. It was a ridiculous statement that had no business being placed into the Bible. It has fostered much misery, pain, suffering, and deaths among those who hold the scriptures to be sacrosanct. It also forced the Catholic Church to devise a most absurd device called an annulment to state, for example, that a wedded couple of 20 years with three children were not actually married in the first place. When foolishness of this nature is being practiced, you know you're dealing with a defective product. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand why the scriptures do not talk about um, domestic violence happening to women, happening to men. Um, even happening to those outside the gender binary. I mean, domestic violence happening to the LGBTQ plus community. I, it happens to cis hetero people too. So in domestic violence. So I just don't understand how could anybody see the Bible as perfect because any writings of the Bible that's you can easily justify torturing and tormenting someone. That's not from God. That's from humans. It's like people need to really read the Bible and stop skim reading it. It's just like, it's just proof that I cannot support such depiction of Jesus. Jesus didn't say that those women conquering men who wrote those words, women were treated as gum on the ground that you just stepped on and could discard for any reason, even if the reasons completely lack logic gets worse. God's inconsistent support of the Jews. During the alleged Egyptian enslavement, God intervened forcefully to help the Jews to escape their captivity. He rained down locusts, killed Egyptian babies, killed livestock, brought darkness upon the land, and raised the Egyptians with boils, among other atrocities. Then in the final act, he parted the Red Sea to allow the Jews to cross while collapsing it on and drowning the Egyptians. However, when the Jews became captives in a much more dire situation as prisoners of war in Nazi concentration camps, God did nothing. He sat back and watched the slaughter of six million of his chosen people. It must be asked, why would God be so inconsistent? One explanation is that he no longer considered the Jews as his people, in quotation, so he offered no special protection during World War II. Another is that the story of the Egyptian captivity is a fable, a concept that is generally accepted among historians. The third and most likely possible is that there is no God in the first place and therefore no supernatural entity to offer special protection to anyone. That that last part is rough. The, the thought of no supernatural entity offering special protection and no God, that's... It's rough for me because of how I grew up. I mean, I can adjust. If, the, if there's no God... I can adjust to that. I won't dispute that. However, it's just rough because I was not offered any special protection in organized crime. And believing in God got me out of it. So it's a conundrum for me. It's not that simple. Um, it's just all... Um, makes me furious with the Bible writers for depicting God so heinously, so cruelly. Um, they, they, the Bible writers had a psychiatric institution imagery of God, and the Bible writers had a solitary confinement imagery of God, and the Bible writers had a death penalty imagery of God, and 
I feel spiritual nausea. It makes me just want to vomit out of compassion. Um... I'll read these um, last three, then I'll be finished. And then I'll just talk my heart. God gives conflicting messages through prayer. Most Christians admit that God does not speak in a voice that can be audibly heard or recorded. Rather, they say God talks to them by voicing words in their head. The problem with this idea is that the messages being sent by God with this, me- with this method are completely inconsistent. He tells one person one thing and another person the complete opposite. This this incongruity is a large reason why there are so many denominations of Christianity. And denominations inspire cliquishness. Well, I'm the real Christian. Well, no, I'm the real Christian. You're the fake Christian. You're the fake Christian. I know you're a fake Christian, but what am I? Ugh. Now, obviously, to be real, the voices people hear are not from any supernatural source. Oh, that's rough for me. Because believe me in that helped me to overcome so much trauma. That's another conundrum for me. Damn. The fact that every Christian seems to hear from God what they would like to hear rather than a consistent divine message is compelling evidence that they're only hearing words of their own making. That's why when a lot of believers say heard from God, I'm like, but... I don't experience any compassionate love from you. So it couldn't be from God. You making shit up. And when you put stuff on God, just... But you like to make him look bad. Like, if I hear compassionate love from you, I might go, well, there could be something divine there. Because divine and divine and compassion, they, they should go together, ideally. Um... Um, Christianity has no effect on marital success. An extensive survey conducted by the Pew Research Center in 2007 looked at the marital status of people in various faith groups. The results show that Christianity as compared to other religions or people of no faith fared poorly with respect to, with respect to divorce and separation rates. The divorce rates among Christians were higher than Muslims, Hindus, Jews, and atheists. If Christianity was the one true religion, this outcome would be highly unlikely. Unions blessed by God should succeed at a much higher rate than those based on a faulty belief system. There's also this survey argued that Christianity is not a true religion. Ah, Why are so many believers fucking it up? When it comes to Jesus, how can you believe? But the divorce rate is high in the church. But you want to bash marriage equality, but gay people in marriage equality, they don't have a high divorce gay rate, but there's a high divorce cis hetero rate. But you got Christians remarrying and they're mad at. And they're mad at gay people for having one successful marriage and not being remarried. So you're mad at them because they're not as divorced as you are. They're not as separated as you are maritally. Wow. Oh, man, this it gets even more fucked up. Christians outrate atheists in prison. The United States Federal Bureau of Prisons released statistics on the religious affiliations of inmates. Atheists comprise only 0.2% of the prison population. Over 70% of inmates identify as Christian, which is close to the percentage of Christians in the population as a whole. This indicates that Christians on average are no more or less lawful than followers of other faiths. Declared atheists, on the other hand, comprise approximately 6% of the U.S. population, meaning that the incarceration rate of atheists is 30 times lower than the population rate. This statistic destroys the Christian argument that morality can only come from a belief from a belief in God. That's another conundrum for me. My childhood, okay? It argues forcefully that because Christianity does not impart greater levels of morality, it's most likely a false religion. Ah, other another conundrum. So you have so so atheists are more moral than Christians. So atheists value integrity 
and Christians not so much. So you have more Christian felons than atheist felons. Again, Christianity is not making itself look good at all. Um, uh, Christianity keeps embarrassing itself. The Bible is not pro-child. The following excerpt from the cited website exposes the nasty truth about the Bible. It is decidedly anti-child, freethoughtpedia.com, wiki, abortion, the Bible. The Bible is not pro-child. Why did God set a bear upon 42 children just for teasing a prophet? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23-24. Far from demonstrating a quote-unquote pro-life attitude, the Bible just decimates innocent babies and pregnant women in passage after gory passage. Starting with the flood and the wanton destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, progressing to the murder of the firstborn child of every household in Egypt. Exodus chapter 12 verse 29 and the New Testament threats of annihilation. Space permits only a small sampling of biblical commandments or threats to kill children. Numbers chapter 31 verse 17. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones. Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 34. Utterly destroy the men and the women and the little ones. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 53. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thy own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 3. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling. 2 Kings chapter 8 verse 12. Dash their children and rip up their women with child. 2 Kings chapter 15 verse 16. All the women therein that were with child he ripped up. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 16. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. Meaning, rape culture the wives. That's what ravished means. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 18. They shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Psalms chapter 137, verse 9. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 20. Shall the women eat their fruit and children? Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 6. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children. Uh, Hosea chapter 9 verse 14. Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. Hosea chapter 13 verse 10. Hosea chapter 13 verse 16. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces and their women with child shall be ripped up. Although these atrocities occur only in the Old Testament, they were still done by the Christian God. And Jesus, who is God in most Christians' minds, was directly responsible as well, in, including the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take a lot of intellectual power to realize that this barbarism could not be the work of a benevolent God. See what I mean? The Bible is not pro five-year-old Antonio Ray Myers. It's not. If I lived in the Bible times, oh, I I would have been killed. And in organized crime, I wasn't spared by God. In a lot of ways, I was not because I could have been killed. God saw it and didn't supernaturally keep me away from it. Bible content warning. The following sticker message has become popular warning. This is a work of fiction. Do not take it literally. Content advisory. Contains verses descriptive advocating suicide, incest, bestiality, sadomasochism, sexual activity in a violent context, murder, morbid violence, use of drugs or alcoholism. Um... Non-consensual type of voyeurism, um, revenge, and undermining authority figures, lawlessness, other human rights and atrocities, and um, advocating for the murders and violence against cross-dressers, trans people, and gay people. Exposure warning. Exposure to contents for extended periods of time or during formative years in children may cause delusions, hallucinations, decreased cognitive and object reasoning abilities in extreme cases, pathological disorders, hatred, bigotry, and violence, including but not limited to 
fanaticism, murder, and genocide. This accurate description of the Bible's content should make obvious that it is not completely the work of a supernatural deity, but rather the product of mortal something, but rather the product of immoral, mortal, and willfully ignorant as human beings. I just, I'm noticing the body shaming, the lack of body positivity in the Bible. Uh, I'm noticing the divine objectification of women, the divine objectification of children, the divine objectification of men, um, the divine objectification of non-binary persons and the divine objectification of LGBTQI plus persons and the divine objectification of fetuses and the divine objectification of babies and the divine glorification of murder and the divine glorification of, of violence. I'm seeing divine organized crime. Then it says, lack of agreement among believers on social and moral issues. Christians claim that the Bible is the ultimate source of morality and that it provides an absolute guideline for what is right and wrong. However, good, faithful, Bible-believing Christians, not Jesus-believing Christians, which is problematic, fall on both sides of almost every social issue, such as women's rights, abortion rights, reproductive rights, same-sex marriage, birth control, doctor-assisted suicide, Euthanasia, stem cell research, gun control, war, climate issues, health insurance, welfare, corporal punishment, marijuana legalization, immigration, and capital punishment. If God intended to present an absolute moral code to his flock, either through scripture or by way of inspiration, he has failed miserably beyond measure and compare. The lack of agreement among Christians on moral issues creates a serious obstacle for belief in their God. Ugh. Church people fight over every motherfucking thing. I can't think of a topic that they don't cuss each other out over. Shit, 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 shit. That's whew. I mean, divine confusion is real. And that's what makes me also think about the reality that a lot of people live their lives in extremes. So they'll let's say they're reckless with premarital sex fornication. They'll tell people sexual purity, married sex, man, woman, both got to be Christians. Like, no, your recklessness with fornication, premarital sex is not is not what's happening to me i can have ethical marital sex ethical fornication and i can have well-balanced fornication well-balanced premarital sex just fine so my issues are not yours and it's the same thing with drinking or smoking weed well you know i had an alcohol problem so nobody can drink no just because you bullshit it with alcohol that doesn't mean that i am incapable of self-control with alcohol I have excellent self-control with alcohol, so fuck off. And then they'll say, well, you know, don't smoke any weed, man, because I smoke too much weed and, you know, my life is just all in shambles and shot to shit, shit hit the fan. Look, I'm well-rounded with weed, so you can kiss my ass with that bullshit. Anyway, I just had to really say that, but getting back to... What is happening in the world of religion? Um, I really, I want to end with this. You're going to understand more of what makes me a Buddhist. A comparison of Christianity to Buddhism reveals some important insights. The following is taken from Ray Harris's website, integralworld.net, harris24.html. No one disputes the biographical details of the Buddha's life editors know as opposed to Jesus, though the skeptical question the supernatural aspects and he left a clear doctrine, a clear line of succession. 
He also left a set of injunctions that have proved effective, resulting in a 2,500-year history of generation after generation of enlightened masters. The result has been a remarkably homogeneous history. Yes, Buddhism has had sectarian difference and conflict, but even so remains true to the original teaching and remarkably unified. Instead of tens of thousands of sects, S-E-C-T-S, there are only dozens of sects, S-E-C-T-S. Instead of a history of violent sectarianism, Buddhists have had a, had a relatively calm and polite history. Buddhism has been able to maintain its doctrinal integrity because it is both an authentic and coherent philosophy. The Buddhist teaching on nonviolence has been made absolutely clear and with a few exceptions has been obeyed. One notable exception is the Japanese Buddhist's endorsement of both Japan's war of aggression and the Shinto concept of emperor as god. In contrast, both Christianity and Islam, despite claiming to be religions of peace, have engaged in extremely bloody sectarian wars. I do not know of a war fought in the name of Buddhism, but there have been many wars fought in the name of God or Allah. This is because Christianity and Islam are ambiguous and incoherent and therefore wide open to belligerent interpretations. This is the fault of the doctrine because it has been constructed in such a way as to allow and even invite widely divergent readings. A religion created by an all-powerful God would look more like Buddhism than Christianity, though it would be even more extraordinary. However, Buddhism offers a glimpse of what an authentic religion, if such existed, would look like. The unfavorable comparison of Christianity to Buddhism is evidence that Christianity is not completely a product of divine origin. Mm. I understand why I am a secular Buddhist. <laughs> I had to provide that context in there. So... I truly am proud of myself for sticking with a lack of confusion called secular Buddhism. And I left the overabundance of confusion called Christianity. Um, Okay, I actually will read a, a couple more. Um, so God's inconsistent grace Christians celebrate and even revere God for many of the miracles he performed to save the Israelites from harm's way but have no concern about his failure to do likewise for the oppressed people of later times this is best explained by John W. Loftus at infidels.org um Christians believe that God freed the Israelites from slavery yet allowed multitudes to be born into slavery and die as slaves in the interbellum American South. They believe that God parted the Red Sea but refrained from holding back the waters when an Indonesian tsunami killed a quarter of a million people in 2004. God provided manna from heaven, so the story goes, but does nothing to prevent the deaths of over 40,000 people around the world who starve every single day nor anything to alleviate the hunger, pains, and malnutrition that the starving face throughout their short lives. God is said to have made an axe head to float, yet allowed the Titanic to sink. He is said to have added 15 years to King Hezekiah's life, but does nothing for children whose lives are cut short by leukemia. God allegedly restored sanity to Nebuchadnezzar, but does nothing for those suffering from schizophrenia and dementia today. While alive, Jesus said to have healed the sick, but does nothing to stop pandemics which have destroyed whole populations of people. The point should not be lightly dismissed because it points out the fact that if the biblical accounts are true, then God must be callously insensitive to human suffering and quite inconsistent in the way he bestows his grace. And that inconsistency applies to the Israelites themselves who suffered enormous hardships and tragedies after the times that are described in the Bible. It should be obvious that the most likely explanation for this disconnect is to question the truth of the biblical stories. As a person who has witnessed murder, as a person who was forced to be enslaved sexually and non-sexually, and as a person who has witnessed famine in the organized crime world, pestilence in the organized crime world, diseases of all kinds in the organized crime world, and stage four types of 
ailments of all kinds in the organized crime world, I can so relate to every word said and read. And I question things. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit more. I can't help myself. I question things because one reason is this organized crime is there to dupe people and I will not be duped and you can't dupe me in the name of God. Christian belief based on a false premise and innate bias. There are two assumptions at play that create a false sense of certainty among Christian believers that the books of the Bible are divinely inspired and a tendency to believe what is written down. The first assumption is that the books of the Bible enjoy a completely unique status from anything else ever written in the course of human history. Somehow the books that were selected by a committee of Roman authorities to be placed in the Bible are all directly inspired by God as if written by God himself in quotations himself and all other books ever written are strictly the works of human minds only further the selected books are all in a maintained state that retains their divine imprimatur the second assumption is a natural human bias to believe the written word as composed to skepticism and also relates to what is spoken orally if someone believes that god wrote something and additionally has a bias to accept as truth something that is written in the book it is a recipe for suspending any critical analysis and simply buying wholesale stories that would otherwise engender a healthy measure of incredulity. These two forces at play explain why a lot of intelligent people believe biblical stories that are undoubtedly fictional. Mm. Mind games and mind control is what keeps the cult of religion going. And I'm going to definitely read another one. Christians who take time to read their Bibles are faced with a dilemma. What is the manner of the God that they worship? He is presented as being both peaceful and violent, caring and cold, kind and cruel, graceful and legalistic, patient and intolerant, forgiving and vengeful, ambivalent and jealous, creative and destructive, good and bad. When reflection exceeds a superficial level, it becomes evident the Bible does not describe a unique deity, but rather the opinions of what many authors think a God should be. So we end up with a tapestry of possible God attributes, but when it's viewed cumulatively, it creates a being that is neither believable nor realistic. Ooh, ooh. It's good to get these doubts spoken out because I've always felt like even when I was a child in church, a thought came over and said, maybe human beings manufactured the biblical supreme being called God. Because how is it so easy to use God to harass people, stalk people, intrude people, and hate crime people? Hmm. So, I just must really have to say that when people really think about how to read scripture, just understand that people made what what is being seen. This is a good one. The pagan influence on Christianity. The religion of Jesus was the antithesis of paganism and idolatry, but the Christian religion became infused with a shower of pagan symbols, beliefs, and architecture. Here's some examples. Fish symbol, candles, wreaths, crown of thorns, processions, church buildings, clerical vestments, vow of silence, hymns and carols, bells and bell ringing, Easter season, Christmas season, wedding customs, baptism, speaking in tongues, 
seven sacraments, ceremonial eating of bread and wine, and virgin births. ReligiousTolerance.org is the source. The pagan influence became prominent in the first few centuries after Jesus' ministry, especially as the religion became the official faith of the Roman um, Empire. However, a religion that purports to be the creation of the one true God should have been free from these influences. The large pagan intrusion into Christianity is solid evidence that it is a man-made religion and not a divine-made religion. Mm. Wow. I'm educating myself while doing these episodes. And this is... This is extremely scary when I'm doing... Um. Mm. And then you got major Christian groups, major Christian faith groups deny the Trinity. Mainline Christianity proposed that God is composed of three entities: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This doctrine was constructed over several centuries of ecclesiastical debates and was generally accepted despite a lack of support in the Bible. Swallowing website lists nine Christian faiths, among many not mentioned, that reject the doctrine of the Trinity. Christianity about Christianity this list includes the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Christian Science. These major Christian faith groups disagree with one of the central tenets of conventional Christianity. This highlights one of the critical problems of Christian doctrine. It is very poorly defined. Something as important as the nature of the God that is the focus of worship should be clearly laid out without need for interpretation or space for disagreement. It's clearly completely not the work of God, but instead the work of man. Yeah. That's how you get all these denominations. The Bible writing, a lot of it is subpar. And a lot of it is poorly uh, mentally conceived and constructed. Uh, I mean, the more I do my research, the more I go... It just makes no sense. I can't defend any of this. And it says, the three stages of God's barbarity. Christopher Hitchens made the following observation about the stages of God's punishment plan. The God of Moses would call for other tribes, including his favorite one, to suffer massacre and plague and even extirpation. But when the grave closed over his victims, he was essentially finished with them unless he remembered to curse their succeeding progeny. Not until the advent of the priest, not until the advent of the prince of peace, do we hear of the ghastly idea of further punishing and torturing the dead. As one steps through the books of the Bible, there's a progression of the ways that God punishes the people he has made. Stage one. Genocide, massacres, exterminations, plagues, etc. Killing the people he dislikes, but leaving them dead in their graves and being done with them. Stage 2. Cursing the progeny of the miscreants so that the sons and daughters suffer for the sins of their ancestors. Stage 3. Not being satisfied with just killing people, but contained if not everlasting post-death punishment in the lake of fire stoked by the devil and his demons. It can be seen by anyone possessing logical faculties that this is not the footprint of a celestial deity, but rather the handiwork of men bent on controlling people by instilling fear and trepidation. The God of the Bible is clearly an invention of primitive, superstitious, and tyrannical human minds. See, 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 I've always felt like God was poorly created by people. Um, I'm just flat out sad. I felt like, I've always felt that God was poorly created by people, poorly generated by people, poorly produced by people, poorly designed by people, poorly made by people, poorly fabricated by people, poorly fashioned by people, poorly manufactured by people, poorly built by people, poorly constructed by people, poorly erected by people, poorly poorly done by people, poorly turned out by people, poorly brought into being by people, poorly originated by people, poorly invented by people, poorly initiated by people, poorly engendered by people, poorly devised by people, poorly framed by people, poorly developed by people, poorly shaped by people, poorly formed by people, 
poorly molded by people, poorly forged by people, poorly concocted by people, poorly hatched by people, poorly knocked together by people, poorly knocked up by people, poorly knocked off by people, poorly established by people, poorly found by people, poorly instituted by people, poorly constituted by people, poorly inaugurated by people, poorly launched by people, poorly set up by people. Poorly put in place by people, poorly started by people, poor they poorly laid the foundations of the biblical God, but you know, those people did. Poorly organized by people, poorly built up by people, poorly got something going on wrong with the biblical God. Those people did that. They got something moving wrong about God. They got something working wrong about God. They kicked something off bad about God. That's what all these people did. He was poorly created by people. Because it's it's hard to defend this God. And this is... I'm just... I'm just... amazed at how all this is allowed to happen and I mean amazed in all a bad way um hmm And so the it says made up saints. There's nothing better to demonstrate the myth making that form the basis of Christian beliefs than to consider that many that many saints that came to be revered and even prayed to by the faithful. Many of these saintly figures did not exist and others that were real persons were giving attributes and deeds that were completely fictional. It's illuminating to study the system to understand how the same process of myth creation was applied to Jesus. This website describes 10 saints who claim biographies have little or nothing to do with reality. Listfirst.com 10 beloved saints and fictitious biographies. Oh my. More deception. This is just mind-boggling. Um, the Bible commands the faithful to kill non-believers. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 2-5, through 5, read the following commandment from God. If there is found in your midst in any of your towns which the Lord your God has given you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God by transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun of the moon or any of the heavenly hosts which I have not commanded, and if it is told you and you have heard it, then you shall inquire thoroughly. Behold, it is true. And the thing certain that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out that man or that woman who has done this evil deed to your gates. That is the man or the woman. You shall stone them to death. So God is advocating uh, the death penalty for non-Yahweh sympathizers. Christians will claim that this commandment no longer applies because it's the Old Testament, though they will also claim that God never changes, which is extremely contradictory in and of itself, in my view. Also, they will conveniently forget Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, where Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. If Jesus believed in this law and declared that it was not to be abolished, then why don't modern Christians obey it? Mmm. 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 Mm. 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 You know, I am I'm just In my heart, I am disturbed by 
Oh. It's just the child me is hurting. The child me is extremely, extremely hurting. And, um, that's why it's, it's like my breath is being taken away. Um, this is my last one reading. Red letter Bibles are standard Bibles that have the words that Jesus spoke in a red font. This is to distinguish the statements from that of any other person in the comments of the author. The theory behind this is what Jesus is that what Jesus spoke most accurately depicts the true Christian doctrine, which was potentially contaminated by the extraneous details and comments added by Paul and the authors of the other epistles and the Gospels. Christians who use these Bibles are often called red letter Christians who tend to be more liberal and socially conscious than other Christians. However, there are problems with this approach. For one, the existing ancient manuscripts do not contain quotation marks, so it is somewhat ambiguous and open to interpretation in certain texts, whether a statement is being made by Jesus or simply a comment being made by the author. Also, it is obvious that Jesus did not have a scribe writing down his every word, so when the Gospels were written 30-plus years later, it is highly dubious that his words could have been reproduced accurately. So what is commonly claimed to be the words of Jesus are more likely contemporary political and religious discourses put into his mouth. For this reason, the, the base upon which Christianity stands is very wobbly. Mm. Um, so in closing, um, how do I feel about all this? Um, the, 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 the depictions of the Holy Trinity by the Bible artist makes me feel sad, saddened, unhappy, gloomy, glum, melancholy, miserable, sorrowful, dejected, disconsolate, downhearted, downcast, cast down, down, crestfallen, woe be God, despondent, dispirited, low, low in spirits, low spirited, heavy hearted, morose, dismal, desolate, weighed down, oppressed, tearful, upset, broken hearted, disheartened, discouraged, daunted, pessimistic, blue, down in the dumps, down in the mouth, fed up, moody, dolorous, dolorous, heart sick, heart sore, chap fallen, not cheerful at all because I'm in a state of general unhappiness or despondency. And to cheer myself up, I truly know in my heart that when it comes to my sex life, I am the best sex partner and the best sex that all my partners ever have. That's just my healthy sexual confidence for you. And I am a fully sensitized, fully sensitive lover to myself. That's why I'm fully sensitized fully sensitive lover to the many others. And I just want to say that I'm so grateful I got all this out. And it's, it, it brings me a lot of peace inside. Um to release these doubts. Not, and I've learned to embrace all my doubts too. And my doubt, all my doubts are my true friends. Um, so, the last thing that I'll say is that I am so done with conforming and performing when it comes to religion that I was taught to do. Conformity religion and performative religion are no longer present in my life. They're absent 100% from my life. And what I did 
say to, to myself is that I no longer do Believer Rooms on the Clubhouse app in terms of them talking about religion and Christianity. Um, there's, you know, I'm in some non-believer rooms, but I'm very careful about making sure I'm in ones that don't resemble the believer rooms. You know, the whole, the cult thing. So, um, and non-believers are better at not being cultish than believers and from, you know, just historically and just my experiences and a lot of other people's experiences. Um, I know, I stopped. I'm going to stop using religious language when I'm in um, clubhouse rooms in general and in person. Um, if I use it, it'll be sparingly like uh, when I talk to believers like in person, ones that really know me well, but then I'm not going to go around and just be saying it it's all willy-nilly. And I decided to um, reinterpret Christ-likeness for myself to reinterpret godliness and holiness for myself and say, well, it's about having, um, a global social consciousness that that's what holiness, Christ-likeness and godliness all mean to me. Again, it all means to, those three words mean to me global social consciousness. And what I do want to say before I get to the 30 minute mark, which I'll stop, is that I learned that no one praises God perfectly, no one worships God perfectly, no one glorifies God perfectly, no one magnifies God perfectly. So therefore, even the greatest comedians and basketball players, for example, have bombed and missed shots before. So we have to apply that same wisdom come to the Bible There is no dotting every I and crossing every T in terms of perfect God description in scripture.